Welcome to Exiles and Protectors. Uh, we are your hosts. I'm Cassie. And I'm Denise. And today we want to address um, a topic that, uh, you know, we were a little hesitant to um, bring up, but we feel that it is an important topic because it affects so, so many people, um, especially women. Um, we want to address a topic that is related to sex and our attitudes around sex and how we developed those attitudes in the first place. Um, so we want to begin talking about the, or I want to begin talking about the exile. And I, I know usually we, we start out talking about the protector first um, and then go back and discuss the exile that that uh, protector, um, you know, was developed to protect. But I think in this case, um, for me, it's easier to tell the story in a linear fashion. I agree. Um, so, you know, sort of like a chronological fashion. So for me, um, I think one huge thing um, that sort of kicked off this whole attitude towards sex um, was something that happened to me when I was in middle school. And... I was, uh, it was summertime, and I was on the middle school cheerleading team, and we were getting ready to go to a week-long cheerleading camp where we had to stay uh, on a college campus and stay in the dormitory, um, and we were, you know, there were like maybe four girls in a room, that kind of thing, um, and one of the prerequisites to participate in the cheerleading camp was a physical kind of like, you know, what kids call sports physicals nowadays. Um, so this physical was a prerequisite for being able to participate, which, you know, I can understand that. You want to make sure the kids are healthy before, you know, they're handed off to you and, and made your responsibility for a week um, without the parents being there. Um, so, you know, most kids, their parents just scheduled a regular physical with their pediatrician. Um, they got the, you know, the doctor to sign off on the form and then they went to camp. Well, I think... And I'm not still to this day, not exactly sure why my mother chose this particular time in my life, but maybe because I had already started menstruating at that point and I had already started wearing bras, you know, my, my chest had already, my breasts had already started to develop. Um, and she, I think, you know, was starting to view me as becoming mature enough physically to start having sex sometime you know, in the next few years, maybe that's what it was. But for whatever reason, instead of just scheduling a normal physical with my pediatrician, she insisted that a pelvic exam be done on me. And, you know, I think maybe I was 12, um, maybe 13 at the, at the oldest, it may have been, but it was before my 13th birthday. Um, and so we went to my doctor's office. Um, for whatever reason, the doctor was not there in the office that day. There were a couple of nurses there, um, like a, a nurse practitioner maybe and a nurse. Um, and so I think maybe that sort of emboldened my mom. If she had not planned to ask for a pelvic exam up to that point, she made an on-the-spot decision once she realized that there were two female medical professionals there. She asked them to perform a pelvic exam on me. I was mortified 
I had never ever in my life um, had my genitals examined by another person, an adult who was not genetically related to me. Um, I was so humiliated. I was so distraught. Mm -hmm. I was extremely uncomfortable, utterly mortified. And I burst into tears as soon as I realized what they were planning to do to me. I burst into tears. I was sobbing. I was begging them not to do it. And my mom was in the room and she was completely unmoved by my tears, by my pleas, and insisted that they go ahead and do this pelvic exam on me. And I felt powerless um, to stop them. I felt powerless to do anything about it. And I felt so violated. Yeah, I was going to say, and that's what we've chosen to call this exile is the violated. Yes, because that's exactly how I felt. And Cassie, you had a similar experience around the same age, right? I did. Um, so um, I was a little bit older than that, um, but I had begun dating boys and um, my mother, a little bit of backstory, um, my mother had gotten pregnant in high school and had an abortion, which I did not know about until years, years later. A back alley illegal abortion. Right. Because this was in the late 40s, early 50s. Right. And abortion was illegal. So my mother time. was absolutely scared to death that I was going to get pregnant. Um, I also had uh, matured pretty early. So when I was 12, 13, I looked like I was about 15, 16. And she just had this constant fear. I think that I was going to be taken advantage of and become pregnant. And so she made the unilateral decision when I was about 13 to put me on the pill. And she told me at the time, which I believed that in order to start the pill, you had to have a pelvic exam. Um, I wasn't happy, just like Denise was, about this decision. And to make things even worse, and this, I think, for me, is where the trauma part came in. She took me to our family doctor, who was, number one, a man. Number two, had delivered me. So I'd known this person since I was born. Um, and third, he was, he, you know, by my standards back then, he was old. I mean, he was probably 60. So, and I had the same reaction Denise did. I got in there and I was bawling my eyes out, just tears streaming down my face. And, um, you know, it, it, it went on, you know, she, she didn't stop it. And years and years and years later, I had a therapist tell me, she said, you know, you don't need a pelvic exam to get on the birth, to get on birth control pills. She probably just wanted to find out if you're a virgin. And that was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> that was a whole different take on it. And um, then I think I felt violated even again. Yeah, a second uh, time. Yeah. Um, but that was such a damaging Traumatic. experience for me yeah. to go through that and you know she chalked it up to practicality of course you know that you know well if you're on the pill you don't have to worry about it and now you're protected and you know and she she was right obviously from a practical standpoint but 
What I didn't realize is how much that would affect my view of sex and sexuality for a huge chunk of my adult life. And, you know, not, not to say that she wasn't, um, right. As far as being practical, like you said, she was, she was being practical in trying to prevent an unplanned and unwanted pregnancy because she didn't want you to have to suffer not only the horror of, I mean, of course, by this time, abortion was illegal. So at least you would have been able to get one at a medical facility by a trained doctor if you had needed right. one. But there's an emotional toll. But there's an emotional toll. To and right. for her, she had that extreme fear because for her, I'm sure it was a very physically traumatic, painful event because yeah. she had to have an abortion when they were not legal. Right. Um, and so I'm sure it was a horrific experience for her, which right. traumatized her for life. And she was trying to protect you from that. So I understand that. It's just the way that she went about it was wrong. And the same with my mother. I'm sure that my mother had it in the back of her mind that she was doing this because one, she wanted to see if they could tell if I had already had any sexual experience, um, which you can't, by the way, the whole thing about being able to examine a a woman's vagina and see if she's a virgin or not. That's, that's a whole, that's a whole different, yeah, it's a myth. myth. Right. Um, There's a, a whole different story there, but um, I, you know, but of course they had been fed this, this load of crap their entire lives. And, and so they had sort of internalized that and they believed it. And so I think that was part of the reason that my mom ins- insisted that I have a pelvic exam, but also, um, because I think both of our mothers had been so conditioned, um, to think that sex was a shameful thing. Yeah. Um, and that it was only to be had in the t- context of a marriage and that that was the only person your spouse was the only person you were ever supposed to have sex with your entire life. Now, now my mother was, she wasn't really that rigid. I, I don't think she honestly really, I, I think there was part of her that was like, okay, she's a teenager. Now she's going to start having sex. I think there was a, almost a, a modernity to her thinking in that regard. But I think honestly, her biggest fear was me getting pregnant. And I think the, the, thus the pelvic exam was maybe her way at that very moment of assuring that I wasn't already. Right. Um, because once I got on the pill, it was sort of like, go have fun. I mean, yeah, it, 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 my it, mom was not like that. No, and most weren't. I mean, most yeah. of my friends' parents were not like that. So it was, it was an odd mixed message. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, I could see where that would be very confusing. It was. Now, in the case of my mom, she thought I should not have sex at all until I got married. Um, and for her, she had grown up with this whole idea that um, her sexuality um, or just sex in general was a shameful thing um, and that it was only for men to enjoy and that women were not expected to enjoy it at all, but it was their marital duty Um, to their husband. And it was also their duty to reproduce, you know, to, to um, have babies. Yeah. Very, very traditional. And so, you know, I can see how, where both of our moms were coming from. Um, The problem was they went about it in an awful, horrible way, completely the wrong way to go about it. And so instead of um, protecting us or reassuring themselves, they ended up traumatizing us. Right, right. Um, and so 
what the biggest lesson, the biggest lesson that I took away from that traumatic experience, that violation was that my feelings did not matter around sex, around sex or around my own body, that I did not have a right to say what other people could do to my body or not do to my body. Right. That I had no say in the matter. I did not have bodily autonomy. That no matter how much I protested, screamed, cried, begged, that the other person was just going to do to me whatever they wanted to do anyway. Well, and we have nicknamed that one, uh, that protector, the compliant. Yes. Right. And this is a protector in the sense that it, it, protects the violated by essentially saying, you know, we're just going to go with the flow. Because it's not going to do any good to get all upset, yes. to scream and cry, to fight back, You're because it's going to happen to you anyway. Right. Um, and so why make it more difficult or, or on yourself? Why right, make it harder right. on yourself? Or you're going to you're going to um, wreck your relationship yeah, or, or, you know, with this particular person, if you say no. Yeah. I felt like I, I, that I was not supposed to say no. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And that I had no right to say no. Um, And that my body was not just mine, that it belonged to whoever else wanted it. Indeed. Um, That was, you know, that exile, the violated and the protector, the compliant sort of grew from that. Um, sort of to, you know, make me feel like this was the path of least resistance moving forward was to be compliant. Don't, don't put up a fight. Don't make a scene. You you know, the end result is inevitable. So why make it harder on yourself? Um, And also, you know, my mother being so traditional and conservative um, towards sex, she, you know, sort of, drilled it into me, into my head that, um, that was my duty was to give a man sex if he wanted it. Right. Um, well, there was a lot of language when we were kids around this as well. I remember girls being called a tease. Do you remember that in high school? Oh yeah, definitely. So these were girls who would go out and, you know, you would make out, you would do this, you were that, but then you wouldn't have sex and they were labeled teases. Um, meaning that, you know, if you're going to start the process, you're expected to finish it. And that was a very big philosophy uh, when we were kids, that that whole notion of no means no. I mean, that wasn't really around when well, we and, were kids. Or you, know, you can take it as far as you want, but at some point, if you say, no, I don't want it to go further, you know, we were made to feel guilty about that. Right. Now, that was we were made to feel guilty um, if we happened to be with a partner who respected our decision not to move forward with the, you know, the act of sex. Um, and actually left us alone and didn't force us, then we were, you know, um, conditioned to feel guilty about getting what we wanted, but not letting them get what they wanted. Right. And not, you know, not <laughs> exactly. letting them, uh, you know, finish the job, finish, so you know, you know, get, get the pleasure from the sex. I know a lot of women our age who still, still feel, yeah, this still way. feel this way. They feel like they owe you know, they they owe whoever they're with the, you know, the, the satisfaction, the orgasm, the pleasure, yeah. whether they are able to do it or not, or they are, say they're on their period, then it's going to have to be expected to be, they'll, they'll have to achieve that for that other person some other way if they're not comfortable with sex, you know, uh, during menstruation. But um, 
yeah, I think this notion of the us having this compliant, uh, this protector we call the compliant, is really present in a lot of women. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many in general. Um, I would certainly say it with our generation, it's uh, yeah. pretty rampant. Pretty rampant. You know, it would be an interesting thing to talk to younger women in their 20s to see how they feel about this. You know, are they still feeling that pressure? Yeah, I, I kind of envy. To, to make their partners happy. Yeah, I, I envy younger women um, now, you know, who are in their teens and 20s because they've grown up in a very different environment. Not to say that this this problem or the, these attitudes don't exist anymore. They do, but by all means, they 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 absolutely do. Um, I'm not saying that they don't. I'm I'm not you know blind to that. the The difference is that I think younger women now have been taught that they have bodily autonomy, and they that can, that is they the can most say no at any point. They can say no at any point, and that that is the most fundamental human right of all. Right is to have the ability to say what happens to your body and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, we were not taught that and we did not oh, feel no. empowered. We were taught the opposite. <laughs> yeah, we were taught the opposite of that. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I developed that compliant protector um, as a way to, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, to save myself additional trouble, to save myself Correct. additional headache and struggle well, and, and also, stress. And, and, you know, and, and I know for me, there was a fear tied in that this person's going to break up with me. You know, there there was also that fear of what's going to happen if I, if I say no, if I say no, right? You know, it, 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 am I going to be the tease? Are they going to walk away because of that? Am I going to be, um, are they going to accuse me of, you know, starting something I can't finish? I mean, I had so much junk, yeah, so much emotional baggage, and so much thought. I mean, every time, yeah, so much emotional baggage. Tied every to time sex. I entered some intimate space with somebody this was the kind of crap that was just running on a loop in my head yeah me too definitely you know I couldn't and and as a result interestingly enough I had a very hard time enjoying the time because I was so preoccupied with you know where is this going to end and then on top of it we had at that age too we had that sort of upbringing of sex is shameful and good girls don't have sex and blah, 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 blah. And, and you're all, you know, women are only supposed to have sex in the context of marriage for the purpose of reproducing. Yeah, there was just It so, wasn't because they were supposed to enjoy the sex. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's funny is the women's movement happened in the 60s, but, you know, we're, we're teenagers in the 80s. And even though 20 years had gone by, um, this was still in process. Uh, oh yeah, and lots of women were still uh, buying into all those traditional. Well, and two, it depended ideas. on the culture, the cultural environment that you grew up in, because you and I grew up in a um, rather conservative Appalachian mm-hmm. uh, community, right? Uh, albeit in different states, but in yes. close proximity, in the same geographical area, right? With the same culture, correct? Um, and so. For areas like those compared to areas either on the East Coast or the West Coast, um, where you get more of a mix of a blend of cultures Correct. and cultural influences and a, uh, and a variety of religious beliefs. And, a, you know, for us, it was more of a, um, a, a homogeneous culture Correct. Uh, where almost everybody um, was, you know, of the Christian uh, faith right. and mostly evangelical. Um, and that 
you know, we all sort of grew up in the same sort of conservative culture with the same views of women's roles in society versus men's roles in society yes. and about sex and about, you know, marriage and child rearing and all that childbirth. Right. Um, so, you know, for and the, us, and the men were still considered the dominant uh, half. Yeah, oh, f- definitely. Know. And so for us, it was, it, even though the sexual rev- revolution, um, you know, as it was called, happened in the 60s, and we were growing up in the 80s, um, it was going to take more than one generation in our geographical area for those new attitudes to Certainly. take root Certainly. and to start to grow and spread. Yeah. Um, and we were just the next generation. We were only one generation removed from the right. 60s. You know, we were born right at the tail end. Yeah, I was born in 70 and you were in 69. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, our parents were, you know, uh, teenagers during that period or young adults during that period. Um, but, you know, we were like the very next generation. And that that had not, those ideas had not taken root yet in our culture, our little area, geographical area. Right. Um, and even though our parents were young adults during the sexual revolution, they were still in that same geographical area and in that same culture. And so they were not as yeah. exposed to it. They weren't the Woodstock going to. No, types. <laughs> they were not the types to go to Woodstock. Right. Um, you know, they were not the types to go hang out on Broadway in New York City or to go yeah. hang out on Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco <laughs> right. and do weed and, and try shrooms and, you know, free love and sex. They were not yeah, no, like they were, that at they all. They were just working people, you know. Um, you know, who grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. And so they smart, were not. Super smart Oh, people. very intelligent. Extremely intelligent. Extremely intelligent. Just, um you know, sort of still awash in the culture they had been raised in. Without a lot of outside influence. Without a lot of outside influence, right. And so, you know, they still held those, um, you know, those ideas of what gender norms were um, and what gender norms were not only in the context of a relationship, but also in the context of sex itself. Right. Um, And so, you know, what ended up happening was that even though our mothers um, each probably had good intentions, um, you know, trying to protect us from unwanted pregnancies, trying to protect us, uh, you know, guard our, um, in my case, guard my purity for, and save it for my husband in Cassie's case to protect her from an unwanted pregnancy and having to go through uh, an abortion and all that. Um, and of course, ab- abortion is healthcare. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with abortion, but I'm saying that for uh, people from Cassie's mom's generation, abortion was illegal. And so that was an extremely traumatic experience, no matter Absolutely. how much you wanted the abortion. It was a very yeah. traumatic experience. And I think, and emotionally, um, you know, whether you're pro, uh, you know, pro choice or um, anti abortion, everyone can agree that no one wants to go through that. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a choice people make out of necessity, right? not out of desire. And right. so, um, you know, she, I think wanted to spare me from the emotional toll, uh, you know, as well as everything else that went with it. And, you know, well, and even, cause she was know, a very, she was a sweet, loving mother. Um, this was just sort of one of those big moments that, Oh, you know, if I could go back and undo some of it, it would be that, you know, cause I, it took me, I'm not kidding. I was probably till I was in my forties before I got past that notion of that mental I, block that you had Well, then the notion of, I owe them sex. Yeah. I owe them sex. And, um, and as we were discussing earlier, not only did yeah. we feel that we did not 
um, have bodily autonomy and that if somebody demanded to use our bodies uh, for their pleasure, that we couldn't say no, um, that we owed our bodies to them. But it also put a huge mental block um, in our minds towards sex so that we were so uptight about it um, that we could not relax and enjoy the experience for a very long time. Yeah, exactly. And we felt like we weren't actually entitled to enjoy the experience. We didn't feel like we had a right to expect to enjoy the experience. Exactly. We did not feel entitled to have an orgasm during sex the way every man, every man I know feels entitled to have a sex, have an orgasm during sex. Mm -hmm. We did not feel entitled to that. And so with this huge mental block, of course, we couldn't relax enough and get out of our own heads enough to be in the moment and enjoy sex. And so, of course, that made it very difficult to have an orgasm. But also we didn't feel like we had the right to have an orgasm or that we shouldn't expect to always have an orgasm every time we had sex. Right. Um, it was always the expectation that the man was supposed to have one. Correct. But that we weren't necessarily entitled to one. Well, yes, And so exactly. that created a whole host of lifelong hangups about oh, yeah. sex, about, uh-huh. um, you know, whether we felt comfortable in our own bodies, whether we felt comfortable being right. naked in, in front of another person, having sex with someone else. Well, I know that that event for me, uh, the exam, the pelvic exam, um, it led to... Um, years and years and years of being very inhibited um, with other people Um, because I felt ashamed. I felt absolutely ashamed of my body. um, And it was rooted in that particular event in that doctor's office because, um, you know, for the first person to see, you know, your intimate spaces is a complete old man stranger exactly you know I mean he wasn't a stranger but it was almost even worse that he had known me since I was a baby and it was it really felt like a true utter violation oh, definitely. And it was and I was just utterly ashamed of my body from that point on for years and years and years. I mean it probably took me into my I'm gonna say late 20s maybe yeah. before I stopped being afraid of showing myself to someone else yeah you know it's it's crazy you know, but that, that one event was, it was so traumatic. It was so traumatic. It really established a lifelong um, struggle, struggle with feeling comfortable uh, in our own bodies and feeling comfortable with sex. Yeah. Um, It took me so, it took me decades to unlearn that, to unlearn those attitudes. Oh, me too. too. Um, And so I didn't really... I didn't really start enjoying sex until I was in my thirties. Yeah. And that happened to me when I was like, you know, 12. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. so I, I sort of felt robbed of my early yeah. adulthood sexuality. Right. I was not able to enjoy sex in my twenties, which you should, if you're in your twenties yeah. and you're healthy, you should be able to enjoy sex. That should be a pleasurable yeah. thing. And it, for me, it was not. And I think there are an awful lot of um, Americans just because, you know, so much of, certainly Protestant white culture here is rooted in Puritanism and shame around sex. Yeah. So I think there are an awful lot of people um, who, you know, come from our culture who probably have similar experiences or or at least mindsets. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course you have, you know, all different cultures with all different religions and sets of, um, you know, uh, things that you should and shouldn't do, you know, but I, I would venture to say that, 
people who have a super duper healthy attitude around sex are probably um, fewer than one might expect. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially among women. Yeah. Especially yeah, yeah, among yeah. women. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Yeah. Well, at least cisgendered heterosexual women. Let me clarify that. Right. right, right, um, right. Because I know a lot of uh, women who are either bisexual, lesbian or transgender or gender fluid who, you know, completely own their bodies and their looks and their preferences and have always enjoyed sex. But I think for a lot of cisgendered heterosexual women, um, who, you know, who, who will only most likely ever have sex with men. Um, there are so few women of our generation and older who actually have a healthy attitude toward that yeah. and don't have any hangups and actually enjoy it. Right. I mean, right. that's so sad, but you know, it so it, it took us a long time to dismantle that protector. So I think, um, we just wanted to talk about this because we feel that it is a pervasive issue and we're hoping that this will help others out there yeah. who have struggled with this like we so. have. Yeah, I hope so too. So thank you very much for listening and uh, we will be back with you hopefully next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.